Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. We're in a series studying the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to invite you to grab the Bible, turn to the Old Testament, and lean in as we discover what God's Word says about godly living in 2024. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you. Um, If you don't know who I am, my name is Tommy Kreitz. I have the pleasure of serving as the campus pastor of our Crystal Lake campus and also on our teaching team. Uh, Well, you're going to need your Bible this morning, so go ahead and open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 11 through 18, and while you're flipping there, uh, is there anyone in here who listens to our podcast, Conversations with Jeff Bucknam? Anyone in here? Any? All right. All couple of you, amazing. Welcome, it's good to put some, uh, some faces to that. Um, we, we do a podcast pretty much weekly uh, in our church, Conversations with Jeff Bucknam. It is exactly that. We have people from our church who come in and they tell their story of, of what God has done in their life. And, uh, but before we get to that really important God at work story in their life, me and Jeff have a, a little thing that we call, I'm the co-host of the podcast, by the way, Um, which is probably one of my highest achievements, I think. Uh, It's like at the top of my resume. And uh, we we, we take about 15 minutes and we do something called the preamble ramble or the pre-ramble. Basically, it's a time where we just talk about whatever we want, whatever pops into our mind. It could be anything from current events to conspiracy theories. Mostly, it always goes back to a conspiracy theory, which is really fun. We love to have fun with that. And, uh, and then we also sometimes will talk about sports poorly. And um, actually, over the past couple of weeks, we've been, uh, you know, the, the playoffs have happened in the Super Bowl. And so uh, while that was going on, we, we made our predictions every single week. And uh, we were wrong almost every time. It was kind of incredible. You, you probably would have done pretty well picking the opposite of what we picked. I think you would have gotten everything right because I think we got everything wrong. And so the first week... Of, of, of the playoffs, the, the wild card round, we were going through and we were predicting every team who we think is gonna win. And then we got to, of course, the Cowboys, my favorite team. Uh, I didn't know if you knew that. Listen, don't judge me, okay? It's, we're in church, it's fine. I love the Cowboys, uh, God's team, anyway. And, and so they were playing the Packers, which is actually my least favorite team. I'm from Wisconsin, it's weird. Um, but... I was going into that game. Cowboys were having a great season. They had a great record. Things were looking pretty good for my favorite team to beat my least favorite team. I was, I was pretty excited about it. And so I predicted that the Cowboys would win by like over 20 points. I, th- I thought they were going to blow them out of the water. The, the Packers weren't doing so great. They had, they had an okay record, uh, but they, they, they weren't doing so great. And so I thought for sure this is a, a sure bet that the Cowboys were going to finally win a playoff game. <laughs> Amazing. And so, uh, so much so that I didn't even watch the game. I, was, it's, I thought, in my mind, it's literally a waste of time. I already know what's going to happen. The Cowboys are going to beat the Packers. And then I started to get some text messages uh, from some folks at Crystal Lake. And they were like, hey, because we've, we've got some Packer fans out there. And they're like, hey, how about them Cowboys? Struggling a little bit. Go Pack, go. And I'm like, no way. I turn on the TV. And sure enough, the Cowboys are down by 20 points. I couldn't believe, they, will go on to, they go on to lose the game. And it, it just was, it blew my mind. It, in no universe did I think that that was actually going to happen. It was the most like unpredictable 
thing to me. And we see that all the time, don't we, in our, in our life. We, we see the, the underdog come up and beat the, 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 the better team or what we think is going to happen. We're just so sure that it's gonna happen and all of a sudden, it doesn't. We have so many examples of that, not only in sports, but in life, right? In, in life in general, we're so sure that things are going to happen the way that we think that they're going to happen, but then they don't. I did all of the right things in my life. How did things end up so poorly? Or maybe the opposite of that. I didn't do any of the right things. How did my life end up so good? I put in the work and I put in the effort at work and I didn't get the promotion. That, that person who hardly works and hardly puts in any effort, how did he get the promotion over me? How did this happen? I prepared so wisely, ordered my steps so that my life would turn out a specific way. But it didn't. Somehow the powerful lost and somehow the underdog won. How? Why is this life so unpredictable? Well, that's the topic of our time today in Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verses 11 through 18. The unpredictable life. The unpredictable life. If you've been with us, we're continuing in our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. And in this book, Kohelet, the, the, the preacher, the searcher, who has attained pretty much all that life has to offer. He's at the, the pinnacle of life. He looks at his own life and he looks out at mankind's life under the sun and he comes to the conclusion that life is full of what he says, vanity. The Hebrew word there is hevel. It literally means breath. That life is full of hevel, breath. It's like uh, your breath in the cold. Maybe you saw it this morning as you were going to your car. It's there for a moment and then it's gone. It's like, uh, it's this idea of like pursuing the wind. We'll never actually be able to grab it. It has no lasting value. It's fleeting. It's unfulfilling. It's in some ways pointless. So Kohelet, the preacher, is going to take us on a journey under the sun today and one that shows life as unpredictable to man. And that while pursuing better things like wisdom is a good thing, it's not a guarantee for success. It's, it's not always rewarded and it's not secure. So let's jump in. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Verses 11 through 18, starting in verse 11. Here's the first thing that Kohelet shows us. It's that wisdom is good, but it's not a guarantee. Wisdom's good, but it's not a guarantee. Look at verse 11. It says, again, I saw under the sun. This phrase comes up a lot in Ecclesiastes. Again, this is Kohelet the preacher searching. He's looking out over life of mankind under the sun, how they're living, what he observes. He's observing it, and, and this is what he saw. That the race is not always to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread or livelihood to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge or ability. So this is what he sees, that the race is not always to the swift, the battle not to the strong, the bread or the livelihood to the wise, riches to the intelligent, favor to those with knowledge. 
Now that seems maybe a little odd to us, doesn't it? Because wisdom would tell us that, well, if you wanna win the race, you need to be the fastest. Wisdom would tell us, to, if you wanna win the battle, you need to be the strongest. If you want to have that great livelihood, you need to be wise. If you want to have riches, you need to be intelligent. If you want to have favor, you need to be one with knowledge or, or ability. Wisdom would say that, that those things get those things, right? Because wisdom is what? Wisdom is knowledge, experience, and good judgment applied. It's knowledge, experience, and good judgment applied. And our common knowledge and our common experience and our common judgment, Swift usually wins the race. These things are mostly true, right? That's the thing. Is they're mostly true. They're mostly true. It's not guaranteed. And we have example after example of, after example of exactly what Kohelet is talking about here, that the Swift don't always win the race. Let me take you back to the uh, 2004 Olympic Games in track and field, the four by 100 meter race. It's the United States of America versus Great Britain. And the USA has a stacked team. In fact, three of their runners um, have under 10 second 100 meter times. They got a couple of medals on their team. They are stacked. The, the British team, on the other hand, every single one of their runners had a time over 10 seconds. So on paper, looking at Team USA, they're gonna win. They have the fastest runners. But they didn't win. Great Britain went out and defeated the USA, even though they had the slower runners. The race is not always to the swift. The battle is not always to the strong. Let me take you back four more years uh, to the year 2000 to the Olympics. And I want to introduce to you uh, Alexander, the Russian bear. Uh, and this is wrestling, Olympic Greco-Roman wrestling. Uh, Alexander was a beast. Oh, his nickname was the Russian bear. And he was a literal, not a literal bear, <laughs> but he was hairy. So there's that. Um, <laughs> he was dominant in Greco-Roman wrestling. In fact, he had won the previous three Olympic games, gold medal. In fact, not only did he win the previous three Olympic gold medals, in that time he had won every international wrestling tournament, gold, in all of them. In fact, not only that, but for the previous six years leading up to the 2000 Olympics, Alexander, the Russian bear, did not lose a single match. Not only that, but in the six years leading up to the Olympics, Alexander, the Russian bear, did not allow a point to be scored against him. He was undefeated and unscored upon for six years leading up to this Olympic Games. So if there was a sure bet to have, it was that Alexander, the Russian bear, was going to win the gold medal. And out of nowhere, a small farmer from Wyoming named Rulon Gardner came and he scored the first point in six years on the Russian bear. And not only did he score the first point, he ended up defeating the Russian bear and taking home the gold. Strong do not always win the battle. We see examples of this in, in the scriptures too, don't we? What's the most famous example of this in the scriptures? David and Goliath, right? You have David versus Goliath. Goliath, the giant, 
the man of war, the strongest man in the army comes out. And on the other side, who do you have? David, the shepherd boy, (laughs) tiny David. And he wins. He beats and defeats Goliath. The battle is not always to the strong. What about Gideon and his small army defeating the Midianites? An army orders of magnitude greater than his. 132,000, his small army wins the battle. The battle is not always to the strong. And we know that as we look throughout our Bible and we see these stories, these underdog stories, that there's this unseen variable in every single one of those stories. It's the Lord tipping the scale with his hand. It's the Lord at work. Wisdom is good. Wise living is good. If you want to win the race, you should be swift. If you want to win the battle, you should be strong. Wisdom is good, but it's not a guarantee. Why is it not a guarantee? Well, let's look. Because, but, time and chance happen to them all. But time and chance happen to them all. That's kind of a curious statement. Is Kohelet somehow saying that there is randomness in this? That there is somehow luck in all of this? That time and chance have a play at all of this? Is God not in control of of everything? Is he not moving and working things? Is there some luck to life? Some chance to life? Well, no, we we only need to look at how Kohelet uses these words. Time, for example, if we even just go to the next verse, for man does not know his time, alluding to who knows man's time. God knows man's time, right? So he's alluding to the divine even in the next verse, but let's go back a couple of chapters to chapter three, Ecclesiastes. Go ahead and turn there in in your Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one, it says, for everything, there is a season. Season is an appointed time, appointed by who? By God. And a time appointed by God for every matter under the sun. If we go a couple of verses down to verse 10 in chapter three, it says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Do you see it? Time, the way that Kohelet is using it, is is an appointed time by God. It's not a random time. It is an appointed time by God. God is the director of the clock. He is the orchestrator of all of time. He is appointing time the time under the sun. He is ordaining the time under the sun. He is in control. And chance here is not um, maybe how we would use it. What are the chances, right? Or or they got so lucky. Um, It's not alluding to luck. It It is talking about incidents, events, not luck. Unexpected events maybe in the eyes of mankind, but we know that the Lord brings about the happenings, the events, the incidents, And he is appointing the time and the events. Time and chance are are what we would call sovereign providences. The Lord is in control of, of, of both of them. And when we look at all of the things under the sun with Kohelet, when we look at our lives, we need to understand this, that these are sovereign providences from the Lord. 
that there is a higher power than ours, than mankind's, who ordains the events and times in this world. We need to understand that. Because it would be so foolish and silly of us to actually believe that we, that I am the master of my own time and fate. It would be foolish of me to believe that I am the master of my time and the master of my fate. When God is the one who appoints time and chance. Despite the most prepared and accomplished a plan or a person may be, God throws the most accomplished of us and our plans off course. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly comes upon them. Life is unpredictable to man. We can live wisely and try our best to produce a specific outcome, but that outcome is never guaranteed. No matter how clever, no matter how prepared, no matter how clever the fish, <laughs> no matter how prepared the fish, they're taken in an evil net. No matter how clever or prepared the bird, they are caught in the snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls Upon them, life is unpredictable. Wisdom is good, but it is never a guarantee for success. In this life, there is no telling who will win the race or who will lose. People don't always receive what we would expect them to receive. They don't always receive what we would expect they deserve. Sometimes those who are most prepared are the ones to fail and fall. Wisdom is good, but it's not a guarantee. The next thing that Kohelet shows us is that wisdom is good, but it's not always rewarded. Wisdom is good, but it is not always rewarded. Kohelet says, I have seen this example of wisdom under the sun. Again, he's surveying life, the life of mankind, and he, he sees this example of wisdom, and it's profound to him. It's, it says, it, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Now, there's two interpretations uh, of this passage um, from most scholars, the first interpretation of the passage would be that it plays out uh, exactly as verse 15 says, that the poor wise man, by his wisdom, delivered the city, but no one remembered him. In fact, they despised his wisdom and, and did not hear it. That's one interpretation. The other interpretation is that the poor uh, wise man, by his wisdom, it would read, would have delivered the city. And, and the reason they think that it's because no one remembered the man. And this passage right here, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. There's also some more context for it in 17 and 18. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Ruler being the ruler of the little city. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Again, siege works against the small city. But one sinner destroys much good pointing to the person, the leader, who did not listen to the wise words 
of the poor man. Now, whichever one of those uh, you subscribe to, uh, the, the point remains. The point remains. Wisdom is good. It's better than might. It's better than weapons of war. It's better than shouting, a shouting ruler among fools. But it's not always rewarded. The, the, the man is, is not remembered. He's not remembered. His words are, his wisdom is despised. His words are not, are not heard. There is no reward for him. He gets no recognition. In fact, not only is there no reward, but he's despised for his wisdom. His words are not heard. I feel like we can relate to this, right? If we look at our modern day, I think we can relate to the, to the wise man, the poor wise man. Things that we would say are our common sense wisdom are absolutely despised by people and they do not hear our words. Have you encountered that? Maybe on a couple of topics? That our wisdom is despised and our words are, are, are not heard. We see this in other areas, wisdom overlooked. I could have saved the company. I could have, I could have saved the, the school district. I could have, maybe even more grander, I could have saved America if they would only listen to wisdom. Could have saved the city if only they would have listened to the wisdom. Sometimes the reward of our, our wisdom is, is stolen. I caught, I caught that accounting error at work. I caught it by my wisdom, but, but my boss took all of the credit and the rewards. That initiative that I came up with and my wisdom to push the organization further, someone else took credit for it. And, and they got all the accolades. See, we, we want so badly to be recognized. We, we want so badly to have the accolades, the recognition, the legacy, the rewards Sometimes in this unpredictable life, we don't receive them. We will not always be rewarded for wisdom. So I think then the question becomes that, that we have is, well, then why should we pursue it? If there's no guarantee of reward, if I'm not gonna get recognized, if there's no promise of reward at the end of wisdom, why should I pursue it? It seems like it would only be frustrating why should we go after it? I, I actually want to be rewarded. I want to know. I want a, a guarantee that there's a reward at the end of my journey. I, I, I started running a couple years ago now, I guess. And, and the reason that I started running was because of the promised reward of, of losing weight, okay? So I signed up for the marathon, right? Did all that. Ran the whole thing, did that whole thing. And, and I, I had, I, the, the thing in front of my eyes was the reward, I will lose weight and be able to fit into those jeans again. Yes, I'm going for it. If you would have told me at the beginning of that journey, hey, listen, you're gonna, you're gonna ache every day. <laughs> Your life's gonna be miserable in this. You're gonna hate running. And you're gonna not lose weight. Guess what I wouldn't have done? I wouldn't have run. No way. If there was no reward at the end of that, there's no chance I'm doing it, right? Uh, and in fact, if you would have said, uh, if it wasn't just not rewarded, but it was despised, 
if I would have, been, you go through all of that and not only are you not rewarded, uh, but also you'll gain weight. <laughs> There's no way I'm doing it, right? It's like calls into question why I eat Taco Bell, but like, let's not talk about that. There's no guarantee uh, of reward, so why, why would we go after it? Well, listen, it's true. There's not a guarantee of an earthly reward in this unpredictable life for wisdom. But listen, there, there is an advantage. There is an advantage to wisdom. Kohelet says as much in, in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 10. He says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed or to have an advantage. Wisdom helps one to have an advantage. There isn't a guarantee of an earthly reward, but there is an advantage. What's the advantage? Well, let me give you one advantage, that when we live wisely, when we live in wisdom, and not just in the earthly sense of street smarts or things like that, but true wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God, spiritually wise, when we live wisely spiritually, meaning that, again, taking that definition of wisdom, meaning we live in the knowledge of God, experiencing God, and in the good judgment of God according to his word, there is an advantage. And that advantage, when we live wisely, is we find peace. The advantage is peace. Proverbs 3.17 says, her ways, talking about wisdom, are ways of pleasantness. All her paths, wisdom's paths, are peace. If we live spiritually wise, we experience peace in our everyday lives. And it's the type, it's the, it's the type of peace that's described in Philippians 4, 7. It's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't know about you, that sounds like a pretty great advantage. It's not the earthly rewards of recognition or accolades or success. But I'll take spiritual peace over those any day of the week. That at the end of a long day, a long, unpredictable day, I can lay my head down on my pillow in peace, knowing that I am reconciled to the living God. That is better than any earthly reward that I could possibly receive. That I have the hope in eternity that I'm going to turn around and look back at this unpredictable life with its ups, its downs, its tragedies, its hardships, and I'm going to view it as a light momentary affliction because of the weight of glory that is before me in eternity with God. Yeah, I want that peace, I want that peace. It's a pretty good advantage to living wisely with the Lord. The last thing Kohelet shows us is that wisdom is good, but it's not secure. Wisdom is good, but it's not secure. 17 and 18, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. I really, uh, just a little side note, I wish so much that our rulers, our politicians would take this verse to heart. That quiet wisdom is better than loud shouting among fools. I wish we as people would value in our leaders quiet wisdom over the loud, foolish, outrage-inducing, mud-raking politicians. 
That had nothing to do with the sermon. I just a desire of mine. <laughs> mine too, yeah. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But look at this. One sinner destroys much good. Wisdom is good, but it isn't secure. You see wisdom is good. It's better. It's better. It's better. But it's not secure. It, it's good can be undone. It's actually, in fact, quite flimsy because it can be undone. Much of the good of wisdom can be undone by one sinner. One sinner can destroy it, right? We see this lived out all of the time. Ah, oh, a new boss came into work. They came in and they're trying to implement all of their own plans and they're undoing the good of all of the wise work that was done before them. One sinner destroys much good. The new friend comes into your kid's life and shows them things that they shouldn't be showing them and destroys the good that you have done for them in wisdom. Wisdom is good, but it's not secure. It's, it's flimsy because one sinner can destroy much good. And we so badly want security, don't we? We want to be secure. But, but listen, it's not, found, it's not found in wisdom. Right? We live wisely with our health, trying to make all of the right decisions about our health. Then something like COVID comes, and it destroys that sense of security. We live wisely with our resources. Then the economy tanks and destroys our sense of security. We, we want to live peacefully, peaceful and quiet lives. Then all of a sudden, war breaks out and it destroys our sense of security. Wisdom is good, but it is not secure. So what can we do? What can we do in this unpredictable life? This is Kohelet. This is actually chapter 8, starting in verse 16. So if you want to just go back a little bit in your Bible, chapter 8, verse 16 Kohelet says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Chapter 9, verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Applying wisdom to our heart, but knowing that we cannot know the work of the Lord. We don't know what God is doing, but we can know that the righteous and the wise, their deeds, that we are in the hand of God. We are in his capable hands. So we should be like Kohelet. We should apply our hearts to wisdom, pursue it, it is good, it is to our advantage, but we should understand that we are all in the hand of God. We may not be able to make sense of this unpredictable life with wisdom, but we should pursue wisdom because it's good. It's better than might and weapons of war and loud rulers and certainly it's better than foolishness. But then we should only trust in the Lord. We cannot place our hope in our own wisdom because it's not a guarantee. It's not always rewarded. It's not secure. We can only place our hope and our trust in God 
who has all things and the righteous and the wise in his hand. The only guarantee that you and I can have in this world is the promises of God. The only reward we can be sure of are those promised by God. The only true security that we can have is in the strong hands of God who is sovereign over this unpredictable life. I wanna end our time. I wanna share a story of a woman named Elizabeth Prentice. I found her story uh, this week. I wanna read it to you. Elizabeth Prentice was a, was a woman uh, who was alive in the 1800s. And uh, Elizabeth was the daughter of a minister. Father was a minister and um, her father ended up dying when Elizabeth was nine years old and she really struggled with that death. But grew to trust the Lord. Eventually she grew up and Elizabeth married a minister just like her father, George Prentice. And they had a, a happy marriage and they, they loved each other deeply. And then God had blessed them with a, with a daughter, Annie, and a son named Eddie. Elizabeth was expecting their third child when Eddie suddenly got sick. At first, the doctors didn't think anything of it. They didn't think it was serious, but um, they were wrong. The doctors would end up diagnosing Eddie with meningitis, which they would call water on the brain, fluid in the brain. And Elizabeth showed unimaginable courage in preparing little Eddie for death, telling him stories about what heaven would be like and urging him to trust Jesus. Eddie died on January 16th. And at the funeral, the choir sang the hymn, Thy Will Be Done. Elizabeth Prentice wrote, it was like cold water to thirsty souls. This was all we had to say or could say, is Lord, thy will be done. Three months later, on April 16th, her daughter Bessie was born. She appeared to be the picture of health. But a month later, on May 18th, Bessie suddenly became desperately sick. And Bessie died the next day. The family lost two children in five months. Elizabeth wrote, and I blush to tell you how hard I find it to cheerfully say, thy will be done. Or how I do wish, do long to feel an entire unquestioning submission to him who pities while he afflicts me. Elizabeth grieved deeply, but trusted God through those two heart-wrenching losses. After Bessie died, Elizabeth was overcome with grief and she would preach to herself constantly, repeating this phrase over and over and over. God never makes a mistake. God never makes a mistake. God never makes a mistake. She knew that the same God who watched over the sparrows watched over her children with tender care. She compared God to a master gardener who intentionally plucked her children as a gardener might pluck a beautiful blossom from a flower bed. She knew that there was purpose in the suffering. She said to her friend, we can't understand it, but I've been thinking that this suffering might be God's way of preparing his children for a very high degree of service on earth or happiness in heaven. Suffering did its work in Elizabeth's life, causing her to have a steadfast faith in God. Her trust in God, uh, in the God she knew so well, inspired her to write uh, a famous hymn, 
more love to thee, O Christ. Which one of the lines says this, let sorrow do its work, come grief or pain. Sweet are thy messengers, sweet their refrain. When they can sing with me, more love, O Christ, to thee, more love to thee, more love to thee. The reality of the unpredictable life should destroy self-confidence in us and drive us deeper into even more depths of faith in the Lord, just like it did Elizabeth. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but I will trust in the name of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. Lord, we love you. Lord, sometimes this life seems so unpredictable. Sometimes the powerful lose and sometimes the underdog wins. And even with wisdom, we cannot understand what you are doing. But Lord, we trust you. Help us to further trust you, to know that you are in control of all time and all happenings that happen on this earth, that you have a purpose for it, that we are secure in your hand. Lord, help us to pursue good things like wisdom, even when it's not a guarantee for success, even when it's not a guaranteed earthly reward, even when it's not secure. Let us pursue those good things, but Lord, would our trust and our hope be in you and you alone. Help us to live this out, Lord. Help us to trust you even more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.